You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Wisden Cricket Weekly Podcast. We've got a bumper show for you today, folks. Lots planned. We'll talk the women's ashes, England v Ireland, Zimbabwe cricket, Darren Stevens, the T20 Blast, Lassie Smilinga, wicket keeping, and we've even got a couple of minutes with Owen Morgan on the 100. I'm Yaz Rana, and alongside me today, I'm with a magazine editor of the Wisden Cricket Monthly magazine. That's out today, listeners. Joe Harmon, how are you, Joe? I'm good, Yaz. Absolutely roasting, but otherwise, it's otherwise, quite hot, isn't otherwise it? good. But 20 quid richer as well today. Uh, yeah, oh, don't talk about that. It's a long-standing bat ahead with Phil Walker. I said about six, seven years ago that Boris Johnson would become our Prime Minister. Not hoping that that would come about, I should add, but obviously today it has, and I am £20 richer, but a lot more depressed. Moving on. We are delighted to have two very special guests with us. Tom Hewlin, the author of Keeping Up, a book about the art of wicket-keeping, inspired by Hampshire keeper Michael Bates' career. And we have Michael Bates himself. Thank you both for joining. Hello there, how are you doing? Yeah, great. Um, I think we're going to start with the women's ashes. Australia regained the ashes with a, a lifeless draw at Taunton. Elise Perry, who scored her second consecutive test century, helped Australia put on 420 for eight in the first innings. Rain ruined much of the second day. And then England needed quick runs to force a result on the third day, struggled, and Australia eventually batted out most of day four for the draw. We still have the 2020s to come, but the two teams are worlds apart at the moment, Joe. It's, it is unfortunately looking that way. Uh, at the start of the series, we did have our concerns that it might go this way. Australia are just a really, really strong side. And we saw that in the World T20 last year. They really raised their game, having lost the World Cup the previous summer. Uh, they just look a more polished outfit. Some of their players, someone like Alyssa Healy, who's been a good player for several years, is now an exceptional player. And Elise Perry, I mean, what, what do you say? She's yeah. just streets ahead of everyone else at the moment. And it's, it's, a, it's a tough old task for England. Obviously, the series is, well, the, the Ashes, they won't be getting back. They can still draw level, but they'll have to really, uh, there'll have to be quite a dramatic shift in form for them to, to get some points in this series. Michael, you work with the England's women's side. What's your perspective from the inside? Uh, it's been a really tough series for them, hasn't it? I, you know, leading into this series, their preparation um, overseas 
this was seemingly good, um, but potentially just didn't, didn't get challenged enough. You know, England, Australia, very much the, the front runners uh, in women's cricket at the moment. Um, and as you said there, I think they've just been blown away a little bit. Colin, the scary thing is, from an English perspective, that you have Meg Lanning's, Elise Perry's, but it's also the young players coming through are so good as well. Sophie Molyneux was, I thought, brilliant the way she bowled and then batted. Ash Garner hitting her second ball in the second innings with six looked brilliant. You, you work in the, in the KSL. It's a very different competition to the women's big bash. There are far more professional cricketers. So it's just hard for England to compete when you have talent balls that are so diff- vastly different in size. Yeah, it is. Um, and, you know, that's always been the big contest, hasn't it? Uh, England, Australia, and a lot of things come into it. I think climate being one of them, they're able to, to play so much cricket all year round. Um, and it's their, their system, certainly the women's game is, is one that the ECB have tried to emulate. Um, cause they're clearly doing a lot of things right. Um, you know, not to say that we're not, um, and our English women's cricket is, is going from strength to strength without a doubt. And, and this will be a, a slight knock to that, but no, no doubt they'll pick themselves up and come back stronger. I'm sure. Mark Robinson was reasonably defensive at the end of the game. He said that losing the toss was a big factor, but he also said that the only big difference between the two teams really is the athleticism. That's not through a lack of effort from our team. That's not lack of desire. They're just better athletes. You can't help that. God gives you physical attributes. I could send our whole group of 21 players to the WBBL. It won't make them better athletes. Tom, he's brought God into it. Yeah, that's a bit Glenn Hoddle-esque, isn't it? That's a bit nerve-wracking. No, I mean, listen, I think in terms of the toss and the test, I think, you know, the damage was done in that, I think, that third ODI when they they got sort of pretty annihilated, uh, let's be honest. That puts huge pressure coming into a test, you know, where there's obviously points at stake. They had to win that game. And I think the sort of writing was on the wall from that from that ODI, which they lost so heavily. I mean, if you know, if it, if we'd gone into the into the test two one, let's say it's not quite so so bleak and so such a must win game, then the toss, like you said, that goes away from you. I know England were were hoping to sort of bring Eccleston into it with the spin um, in in the test. Um, I know she got she got a niggle on day one as well. So um, uh, Kirsty Gordon was sort of drafted in to, to bowl quite early on. She looked quite nervous. So you could say a few things conspired against them, I think, on day one in that test. And then you have rain, very difficult to recover after that. So I think, you know, there was a few factors that went against them. But ultimately, Australia were the better side. Yeah, even though it was a duel, I think Australia were the yeah, much, absolutely. much better side. But at the same time, England can still draw the ashes. Australia re- retained them because they're the holders. But if England win the three T20s, they can draw the series. And Joe, do you think England will make changes? England have, by and large, kept the same 11 to 15 players that won them the World Cup two years ago but is it time to try other young players coming through? Uh, I thought they missed a trick a little bit with the squad for the one day series not so much the test match um, because that does lend itself to people who have played for many years and experience is really helpful but I thought I was surprised Sophia Dunkley wasn't part of the, the one day side uh, especially come in for the, for the T20s as she's played over the course of the winter Bryony Smith's another one who's done really well in, in county cricket it does feel that really they could have done with a bit more youthful dynamism just to kind of give that group a bit of freshness more than anything else and and they have they have looked a little stale which is surprising because as Michael said they came in I was 13 wins on the bounce in coming into the series and I think it's indicative of where women's cricket is at the moment the whole game is is moving up rapidly at all levels but Australia are just moving faster than everyone else and the concern if I was England I'd be concerned about 
what India are going to do in the next few years as well, because the women's IPL, I think, is is imminent in the next year or two. Uh, we've just done in the latest issue of Wisdom Cricket Monthly a, a list of the top 25 women's cricketers in the world, sorry, best youngsters in the world, and four of the top 10 are Indians. So I really think we're going to see India progress and potentially become a kind of a superpower alongside uh, Australia. So England are really going to have to work particularly hard to, to keep up with those two. Otherwise, you could become a sort of distant third in a relatively small field, which is which is no place to be. And only one English player in the top yeah, ten. Yeah, Sophie Eccleston right? was the only one in the in the top ten, really, because there aren't that many to to choose from in in the current setup. Uh, Dunkley was in that list, but a bit a bit lower down. Mm. Uh, whereas the Indians in that list are key players in their sides. Uh, Australia actually only had two by comparison, so it's not a, a huge gulf, but. Um, a lot depends on how how next year goes and uh, what replaces uh, the Kia Super League because we know there's the 100 but there also needs to be a 20 over competition of some kind for the women. Details of that still aren't clear. I mean, there are no details at all. We we hear so much about what's going to happen, all the coaches in the men's 100 or whatever. But well, this is always anything. the problem with running together has a lot of advantages but it also did raise alarms that the women's game would be an afterthought and that does seem to be the case so far. I couldn't help watching the game, and this might sound harsh, but Anya Shobsol, World Cup hero in 2017, she was the sixth bowler used by Knight in the se- in the second innings. Georgia Elwes bowled ahead of her. D- do you think that? I mean, we've it's been Shobsol and Brunt for years in the England team. Well, this is part of the problem, yeah. I mean, the Seamers haven't. Um, Katie George had came in for the what uh, two years ago, and then got a, a serious injury. Mm. Um, Freya Davis has been part of the T20 setup. But really, you'd hope for more pressure from underneath on, on Shrubsall and Brunt so that Shrubsall doesn't have to come on uh, early. But that's not necessarily a problem because you've got the other options. But in the spin department, they look pretty well blessed. The seam, not so much. Uh, I remember Mark Robinson saying earlier in the year that a problem with bringing through young female fast bowlers is that at a lower level, the games are just dominated by spin. Mm. So they needed to implement a rule in a recent academy series where they had to force teams to bowl pace bowlers in the first six overs of the T20 because otherwise teams just weren't bowling really? them. So that is, I think it is harder to, to bring through the young younger fast bowlers. Um, but as you say, lots of good spin options. Michael, in the, in the KSL, are there, are there young seamers coming through with kind of international potential? There are, there definitely, without a doubt. There's plenty of young girls coming through um, that have showed a lot of promise. I think the difficult thing is, uh, you know, these young girls, to gain proper experience at that sort of level, they, they have to play international cricket. Um, you know, where, where the game, the, the men's game, sorry, differs so much is that young players coming through have already gained so much experience it's at a really decent level at first-class cricket. Um, and that's the challenge that Robbo and, and you know, the, the ECB, the setup face, um, is in order to get these girls exposed to that type of cricket, they've got no other option but to throw them into the international scene really mm. early. More positively, Michael, um, from your perspective, in Amy Jones and Sarah Taylor, England have two of the best keepers in the world. What, what makes them so good? Uh, first of all, I completely agree with that. Two, I think the two best keepers in women's cricket at the moment, without a doubt. Um, what makes them so good? Both of them exceptional athletes for a start, something that we mentioned earlier. Amy Jones in particular. She's a she's a proper workhorse and she's worked tirelessly, particularly at her keeping with me. Um, and she's actually been flourishing recently with the bat as well. It's, it's awesome to see her getting picked in the team, regardless of whether she's keeping or not. Um, and and Sarah's probably is you know similar to me in a respect, stereotypical proper proper keeper. And her instincts and just her natural ability with her hands to kind of change the game um, alone warrants her 
uh, side. We'll get m- the side. more into wicketkeeping later on. Mm. But on that, you you said it's a natural ability. Can mm. can that be coached? Can a, can you coach a Sarah Taylor? You can, and you can. I think you can enhance what they've already got. Um, I'm constantly trying to work with Sarah on kind of her her, her technique, if you like, and her positioning, uh, head position in particular. Uh, but ultimately, she does what she does because she is just a bit of a freak. Ultimately, you know, her her hands are exceptional, as I said, um, and she just gets away with at at times average positioning purely because she is blessed, if you like. And can you accept that in the sense that? Uh, in say in bowling terms Muralitha and Malinga mm. you wouldn't try and change them because they are what they are and maybe Steve Smith as a batsman again wouldn't work for 99.9% of people it works for him is the same true of keeping can you be like that works or, or there are certain things that you have to step in and go well that, that's not sustainable well ultimately if it works it works isn't it and and you, that's one thing you can't argue about Sarah she's she's found something that works so well for her and she she's still flourishing at the highest level within the women's game I, I always refer to like MS Dhoni someone like that perhaps not at the top of his game now but when he was um, you know technically he wasn't a model that you would aspire to be like as a kid for example but his natural ability particularly stood up to the stumps and his natural instincts you know just make it happen for him and Sarah is very similar the biggest news in international cricket this week was Zimbabwe suspension from the ICC. All payments to Zimbabwe from the ICC have been frozen and they can't compete in any ICC events. Four Zimbabwe players who are due to take part in the ICC's Women's Global Development Squad Tour of England to play against some KSL teams have been barred from travelling. Officially, the ICC have suspended Zimbabwe for failing to ensure there is no government interference in its running of the sport. IC chairman Shashank Manohar said that what has happened in Zimbabwe is a serious breach of the ICC constitution and we cannot allow it to continue unchecked. They've issued a punishment after the entire Zimbabwe cricket board was suspended by the government Sport and Recreation Commission last month and was replaced by an interim committee. The ICC says that it will review its decision at a board meeting in October. Now, we'll be doing a special episode next week on the Zimbabwe situation, speaking to senior figures around Zimbabwe cricket. So we'll keep it short today. But Joe, it's it's really sad, isn't it? The players are the ones who are being punished. Uh, that, I mean, that is tragic. And you see Sikander Raza, um, who's been a kind of figurehead for Zimbabwe cricket for a while now and been outspoken about the 10 team world cup and other issues in the game and, and is obviously an intelligent guy and and he's heartbroken for himself for his teammates uh for the game in the country and it's not so very long ago that zimbabwe were a very well sorry a relatively successful cricketing nation with some exceptionally talented cricketers so that it's come to this is is hugely depressing i have to, to be completely honest i'm still a bit conflicted on it I, obviously it's tragic but I need to know more about why the ICC have done this and what details have particularly led to this to, to know whether it was a just uh, punishment. Um, that that will obviously come to that on the Zimbabwe special. Um, we were talking earlier about this this the group of young women's cricketers. Uh, remind me of the name, Yaz? The Women's Global Development Squad. So, the, so the yeah, the Women's Global Development Squad had, I believe, four young Zimbabwe women in it, uh, and they've now said that they can't compete in that squad now for me that that doesn't make sense that has nothing to do with Zimbabwe cricket they're just Zimbabwe they happen to be from that country to me without knowing anything about the law that sounds like potential discrimination Uh, also it sounded like an opportunity to offer an olive olive branch to Zimbabwe to say look the situation up top is horrendous this can't continue but we still think Zimbabwe has a future as a cricket nation so to to ban four young 
uh, females and barbane cricketers from taking part at all uh, seems pretty counterproductive and quite depressing, really. Grant Flowers said in an interview with Quick Info that perhaps the IC's decision isn't based on just what they've said they've made the decision on. It might be an accumulation of many years of financial mismanagement for Zimbabwe Cricket Board. That from the IC's perspective, they're giving the Zimbabwe Cricket Board a lot of money and they're bailing them out a lot and they're not seeing anything for that money. Um, yeah, as I said, we'll... We'll go into that in more detail next week. Um, but a final word on that from Sikander Raza himself, who told Quick Info, I don't know where we go as international cricketers. Is it club cricket or no cricket for us? Do we just burn our kits and apply for jobs? I don't know what we have to do right now. Pretty powerful stuff. Very sad. Elsewhere, England have named their 11 for the Ireland Test match that starts for you guys listening today. Ollie Stone and Jason Roy will debut. Gregory misses out. Tom, what do you think about that? Yeah, for me... Um you know, after after the the World Cup that Roy's had, he's he's got to be given a chance at the top of the order. Um, I know it's a different ball game, uh, it's a different format. Aussies are going to line the slip cordon and the gully position up, um, good and strong for for Roy flashing outside off. But I think you've got to give him a go because I think if he comes off in the Ashes, he could be absolutely destructive for us. Uh, Joe Denley also at three. You know, he's played very well for Kent so far this season. So yeah, another good call there as well. Ollie Stone over Lewis Gregory. What do you think about that, Joe? Um, I'm not surprised I haven't picked Gregory just looking at the makeup of that squad. I'm not sure he'd have had a huge amount of bowling to do. Uh, Ollie Stone, I was a little bit surprised that he got picked for this squad given he hasn't bowled a huge amount this year and, and has a uh, history of injury problems. I thought Jamie Overton might be the one that they go to who seems to have done really, really well this year. And from the clips you see on Twitter, he looks to be bowling pretty rapid. Awesome. Uh, so I thought that might have been an opportunity to give him a go. Uh, I think it's a really big test match for Stuart Broad, which sounds odd for a bloke who's played as many test matches as he has playing against... Ireland, no disrespect meant, but you know, this is not one of the lead test nations, but it could dictate how broad summer pans out. Um, on Stone, it's a real show of faith. They selected him for Sri Lanka. He's been injured basically in the entire time since Sri Lanka tour. Um, I, I think he actually could play in the Ashes because Wood's not going to play at least till the fourth test match. Archer's not going to play at least till the second test match, apparently. And England, for so long, were talking about the need to have fast bowlers coming through. Suddenly two come at once, and now they're both injured. Michael, do you think there's any, any chance that Stone might play in the Ashes? I think that's why they've selected him for this test match, because they want the pace. Yeah, absolutely. And I think they've got to give him a go, haven't they, uh, initially against Ireland, to see what he's got. And as you said, he's been out a long time injured. Um, I'm sure he'll come back stronger than ever. Um, it's an interesting one, isn't it? You mentioned Brawl, you mentioned Anderson. It's been those two for so long. Um, and now we're actually blessed to have, as you say, like a plethora of really decent, strong, quick bowlers coming through. Um, it's a great place for English cricket to be, but it'll be interesting to see how they move things forward. Elsewhere in the bowling department, Jack Leach is playing again. Um, he's quietly had another stormer of a county season. He's got 29 wickets and 19. Uh, we're playing two spinners at the moment. I think that's partly because Moeen's going to probably be batting at six, but given the weather we've got at the moment, we could be playing two spinners further on in the summer. But also, if we play one, is it as done and dusted as, as, as people have been assuming that Moeen will play ahead of Leach? I don't think it's done and dusted. We saw over the World Cup that England were prepared to, to drop Moeen when it didn't suit their, their team strategy. Uh, his batting hasn't really been particularly strong for, for quite a while now. Uh, he does bowl well in England in test matches. That He's got a proven record, so they'll give him every chance, I think. Uh, but Leach just does it every time for Somerset doesn't he did Le- Leach co- coincide with you in your spell at Somerset Michael uh, he did and I've grown up actually playing with Leach so Leach would have been part of uh, the under 19s England team which I'm sure we'll go on to discuss a little bit later but uh, I know Jack very well and he's he's an, he's an absolute hero he's a great man so he doesn't 
doesn't just bring his bowling attributes to a team. He's he's brilliant around the change room. So I'm I'm thrilled to see him doing well. He's he's um he's he's great for for cricket badges out there as well because you can tell he just loves it so much. Absolutely loves it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And it's good, isn't it? It's great to see under under such pressure. Um, you know, Ashes Test match. If he plays, he'll still be out there loving doing what he's doing. So it's it's great to see. And but you can say he's pretty unlucky not to have played a home test match yet, given his record in England it? over the last <laughs> last few years. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Michael, as you alluded to, you were in the same under-19 side as the World Cup heroes, Ben Stoke, yeah. Butler, yep. Root, James Vince. Tidy team. Yeah, you, I mean, Property. you, you Property. guys only got to the quarterfinals. What went wrong? <laughs> and I think, notoriously, under-19s have, have struggled, I think, in World Cups, despite, you know, the quality of players that they've had coming through the ranks. Um, but we had a proper team. Yeah, Joe Root uh, as well was in that team. Azim Rafiq, who was playing at Yorkshire not long ago. Um, he was a very good player at that age as well. We had, a, we had a serious side, serious side. Was it clear then that, Stokes, Butler, Root in particular would go on to become the, the phenomenal players they are now. Stokes and Butler, definitely. Uh, Root was a very, very good player, very technically sound. Um, he had limitations to his game at that age. But he was you know, he was quite slight, he was quite small, as a lot of lads are at that age. Um, so it was quite clear he would have to expand his game to, well, to become the player he is now. But um, he was always, he's always a standout technically. And what about Stokes as a character? All the England team now talk about him as kind of being the engine room with that dressing room, uh, being an incredibly hard worker, um, an amazing team man. Was that all that stuff evident even at under-19 level? Yeah, with with Joss and Stokes, I would say very, very similar characters, um, you know, larger than life, uh, similar to Jack, actually, just, just love doing what they're doing. They work tirelessly at their game, uh, completely professional, but know how to have a, a really good time off the field. So... Considering how talented they were at that age, considering the sort of characters they were at such a young age then, uh, it's no surprise actually to see them properly dominating world cricket now. I was looking back through a couple of scorecards from that. It's the 2010 Under-19 World Cup. Uh, and I think you were batting with Stokes when he when he got his 100 or certainly during his 100. So he got yeah. 100 off 88 balls against India. Yeah. And that's I remember that knock, uh, seeing it on Sky and it being the sort of moment where a lot of people woke up to the fact that we had a pretty special talent about to arrive. Absolutely, and that was that was against India. It was a must-win game for us. It was the last group game of the tournament. Uh, as I said, we had to win to go through to the quarters uh, where we'd meet West Indies. Uh, Jason Holder actually rolled through us that day. Um, but it was it was an exceptional knock, again, under, under quite a bit of pressure. Tom, talk to us about your book. So, Keeping Up is uh, a book about Batesy's career. Um, you know, his his time at the Hampshire age groups, but also the England age groups, as we've just mentioned, coming up, playing against some of the best lads in the game in the country at the time. Um, and it's about his journey through through the game. And it's it's about wicketkeeping more generally as well, I suppose, is the other key strand. So the changing role of the wicketkeeper in modern cricket, that need to, you know, to bring runs to the party as well as, you know, good work behind the behind the stumps. And and it really just talks to we talk to a lot of people within the book, not just Batesy, but Joss contributes, uh, Joe Root, even Adam Gilchrist talks to us about what what they see as being the you know the the most important part of a a, w- a wicketkeeper's role. And I suppose the interesting thing with Gilly was that he was he was you know uh, an absolute wicketkeeper through and through. His keeping was the most important part of his game uh, to to him. So if he'd if he'd kept well and his batting hadn't gone so well, he was still pretty happy. But if his batting had gone well but his keeping it struggled he was pretty depressed wasn't he mm. so it's quite, quite ironic that he's become he's the guy who changed it all for wicket keepers really in yeah. the, as the 
pre-Gilchrist era and the post-Gilchrist era. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think that was the, the, the one of the... You know, one of the biggest surprises, I suppose, from all the people that we spoke to was was how Gilly, you know, was really passionate about his keeping, and he, you know, he's, he's obsessed about his stats um, behind the stumps, and for him, that was that was the the, the most important thing uh, of his game, which was which was a real fascinating insight for us. Michael, you were a key part of one of the best white ball team, the best white ball team in the country in your early twenties. And whilst you bat lower down the order, you were a key part of that team as a specialist keeper. Do you think that wicket keeping nowadays is undervalued as a skill in white ball cricket in particular considering how crucial you were to that team uh well my obvious answer is yes <laughs> it's an interesting debate because actually you could argue and i think speaking to bruce french he mentioned this uh when we spoke to him for the book in terms of red ball cricket so the longer format of the game the keepers kind of uh, he's affecting the game more than he would potentially in a white ball game you know he touches the ball more often so you could argue that actually having a specialist keeper in the red ball game is is just as important. Um, I guess also the flip side to that is the white ball game. Um, you could go a whole 20 overs or however long it is without your keeper necessarily touching it that often, you know. Um, but as the need for a shorter form of cricket becomes more apparent, um, the need for batters lower down the order is, is uh, I, I'd imagine, just going to fizzle out. So in that instance playing a specialist keeper would probably benefit your there team. Is, there are stats uh, such as uh, the, the average number seven in a T20 faces five balls. Exactly. Yeah. So and you're better off, surely, having a keeper that get, gets you, on average, a, a dismissal a game. Well, well, exactly right. And so you mentioned the team that I played in at Hampshire. Um, I was standing up pretty much for the majority of the innings, almost all of the innings, whoever was bowling. Um, and, you know, the the pressure you can apply to a batter by doing that and doing it well, obviously, um, is is priceless, I think. And if, if like me, you're going to be batting, you know, seven, eight, nine, as you've said there, the chances of you actually being able to influence the game with your bat is is very unlikely. Because um, your your elevation to the side came very young as well. You won the T20 Cup 2010, so you were still only, what, 19? 19. And then again in 2012? Yeah. And then actually I was looking at that you won the Clydesdale Bank 40 in 2012, which has looking back at, at that match Mark Nicholas described it as the best performance by a keeper he's ever seen which I mean obviously he's a Hampshire boy but <laughs> <laughs> but Not that nice from coming all. coming from Mark Nicholas who's seen a hell of a lot of cricket yeah, and a true. lot of the world that's that's quite a statement to make and I, just without wanting to embarrass Michael like there are you see so many good keepers these days and you, re- you see so few mistakes but you still don't see that many keepers who kind of change a game as yeah. a wicket keeper Jack Russell's obviously one yeah. one classic example uh, James Foster's another but I remember watching those games and you would you would influence a game it was like that those opportunities weren't even necessarily apparent Sarah Taylor's another one weren't necessarily apparent to other keepers mm. and I think a lot of people lament that that is perhaps has perhaps left cricket to a certain degree but as you say might might come back in yeah how, how did you get to the level where you were standing up to everyone how, how does that happen <laughs> I think you just go for it. You just go for it and see what you can do. You think more pe- te- keepers should do that now in, in white ball cricket? Yeah, I th- you've got to be confident in doing it. I think like most things within cricket, it's a mind game, isn't it? So unless you're doing it with the utmost confidence and, and knowledge that you can do it, you've got to prove it to yourself initially. But, um, you know, you can't you can't just kind of send yourself up there and hope for the best because it won't work. And as we as we said countless times now actually being able to affect the game with your gloves you've got to believe that um, and if you're not looking to do that it's it's going to go horribly wrong for you 
And then when you were 24, 25 and you found a contract hard to come by, I mean, obviously that must have been pretty disheartening. But also, were you like, very surprised considering how important you were to successful teams? Um, I think you know I was quite I was quite young back then, quite naive, and possibly didn't um, value myself as much as I should have done. Um, I think it came as a surprise to a lot of people around me that um, you know that I wasn't kind of snapped up uh, or, or offered a contract full stop. Um, and it was it was it was gutting, yeah, definitely. And as you've mentioned already, our bookkeeping up goes into all of that, um, all the emotions that entailed, and all the emotions that followed um, followed not being able to play professional cricket anymore. Do you think we're now seeing T20-only contracts come in, given how crucial you were to Hampshire's T20 success? Do you think back then if a, a T20 contract was around that you might have got offered one of those and that could have been a, you could have been a specialist T20 keeper, potentially? Yeah, quite possibly. Uh, and who knows? And with, with the introduction of the 100, again, it's a shorter format, isn't it? Um, and for the reasons we discussed earlier, potentially someone like myself might have been able to play quite an important role in that, and especially if your attack... You know, if your bowling attack um, is is pace off or, uh, you know, medium pace attack, then I'm actually able to get up to the stumps and affect the game throughout the whole innings. And what advice do you give if you're working? You said you work um, with some of the England Women's Academy players. If you see a really exciting keeping talent, but their batting isn't perhaps going to be kind of top level, from your own experience, would you encourage them to work more on their batting to try and even that up? Or would you, as the kind of purest keeper, say go with the thing that you're you're most naturally talented at well i think i think you've got to do both haven't you ultimately and if you have got if you've got that x factor with the gloves you've got to you've got to play on that you've got to make it a super strength like i did um but on the flip side even if you're an exceptional keeper you've got to be able to bat these days you know you've you've got to give yourself that chance of competing with the bat as well so it's a tough role it's a tough role within the modern day game because you've got such high standards to uphold with both skills just jumping in there, um, I think what was really interesting when we spoke to the likes of Sam Billings and Joss Butler um, was, I mean, Sam Billings at a similar age to Batesy when he started playing for Hampshire around 19, he actually went to Loughborough University and almost took a break out of his time at Kent because he had two lads ahead of him that he, could, he, he wasn't going to displace. And he told us in the book that, I mean, he went to Loughborough and basically just nailed his batting, just no pressure, just had, had fun with it almost and really nailed it. And similarly with Joss, he was a, he was a straight batter until he was 13. And then he took took the gloves because he knew he needed more to his repertoire, if you like. And I suppose it's just it's just nailing those skills, isn't it? It's just giving yourself the best chance possible of breaking into the team. And I mean, even Joe Root was talking about that with his offspin, just having something more than just your basics. And I suppose that's that's the balance is, you know, having an elite sort of specialist versus just trying to get your multidimensional skills in in place, because that's what you need in the modern game. I guess Butler would have played as a specialist bat in that under 19 side. Yeah, he did. Um and it, I didn't play in the quarterfinal in the end because I think Butler then took the gloves just for the sake of balance of, a, of our attack of our team. So I actually missed out in the quarterfinals. Um, but we played in the same team together. Uh, but you know, Tom's Tom's absolutely right there. You see it quite often now. You know, you get a few play a few keepers rather playing in the same team. Um, obviously, only one can take the gloves, but it just shows the amount of kind of multi-dimensional talent that's coming through, particularly in the keeping department. Australia might have three on the Ashes side at this yeah. rate, with exactly. what Wade Carey and, uh, and Payne, who has to play because he's captain. <laughs> well, we'll see how long that lasts. Um, well, that's, that's really interesting. Tom, how do people buy the book? So the book is available now on Amazon, uh, 
Um, and yeah, get involved, please, please do. I think we're going to have some competitions run through Wisdom social media accounts as well to win a signed copy. Very so, exciting, yeah. very exciting. Um, at the end of last week, Owen Morgan was at the draw for the Euro T20 Slam and spoke to myself and a couple of other journalists on a range of stuff, including, yes, the 100. One of the formats will miss out. It, 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 we, we can't play with four formats. Um, the 100, yes, I do think we need it. I think whether it's 100, 10 overs, 20 overs, I think one franchise tournament with less teams in order to consistently sell the game to the country, I think we need it. I think anybody I speak to who loves sport but not necessarily loves cricket is, is crying out for a tournament that he, actually, he or she understands because 18 teams going for a long period of time does not make sense to anyone. Joe, what do, you, what do you think about that? Um, well, I think, as ever, Morgan's been very straight and honest. Uh, and I think what he's saying is perhaps kind of realising the worst fears of a lot of county fans who think that once the 100 is well established, the, the blast will just slip away uh, and the counties that hold that tournament very dear will be uh, understandably upset by that and also potentially out of pocket in, in the long run, um, although they're getting the kind of the, the handout uh, as the 100 deal rolls on. Because um, they, they have to play 50 over cricket in in some form that's that's the world cup you can't just pick it up every four years and hope to win a world cup we've completed it now yeah we completed <laughs> fine good point all right move on <laughs> morgan's been called an ecb stooge a company oh, man it's just nonsense but yeah i think a he, he makes a fair point and b i think he does genuinely believe it um he's never been any of those things as well he was saying that players should be allowed to go and play in the ipl mm. when that was very very unfashionable mm. uh, and other england players were getting into quite a lot of trouble for that the ecb also announced this week that they'll be announcing a new strategy that will aim to double state school primary school participation in cricket they're acting quickly they're building on the world cup win which i think is is good from the ecb if if slightly overdue um on that euro t20 slam it's got some massive names in it by the way mccullum to rashid khan mills babrazar mohammed amir owen morgan plenty more big names that i've not mentioned there uh, it's also likely to be on mainstream on a mainstream uk sports broadcasters tv channel too um it's exciting it'll be a very weird tournament in front of basically playing at club grounds in Scotland, Ireland, and with some of the really big names involved in it. Personally, I can't get my head around more cricket, uh, but I don't know if that means other people can't. You Maybe that's just my. Well, it clashes. It's unfortunately a time tournament. It clashes with the last two Ashes Test matches, the knockout stages of the Blast, which is a real issue for the Euro T20 Slam teams, considering how many players yeah. are playing in the Blast, and also the Caribbean Premier League. So, yeah, I I'm mean, going to go with the Ashes if that's all yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, same. I mean, I think it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because we were just talking about it on the way here. And, um, you know, some of the cities that these teams are based in, I mean, it's quite good, you know, for fans going to a weekend away in Edinburgh or Dublin or Amsterdam. You know, you can see some kind of appeal. But like Joe said, there's just so much cricket around. Mm. How do you squeeze it all in? Um, you know, though, you know, Ireland, Scotland, um, Holland, obviously, you know, they've got, you know, very good cricket um, followings and, and, and players and stuff so it, in some respects it's a valiant attempt but just where do you squeeze it in? So in all tournaments you've got 30 round robin games you have 10 in one city 10 in the next and 10 in the other so you've got six teams three of them they've got city names their titles but the games aren't played at those cities and you've got 10 games at these cities in which cricket isn't massive you're just not 
going to sell out even these tiny grounds, which is, um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. I feel like we're, you know more about this tournament than anyone else out there. <laughs> I'm like, I was really excited to see those people play cricket in Scotland is for it a the week. Rotterdam yeah. Rhinos? Rotterdam Rhinos, yeah. the Edinburgh Rocks. Um, I can't wait. The, the T20 Blaster started. Uh, we've had lots of games, but what have we learned so far? Uh, A.B. De Villiers is quite good at cricket. He scored 88 not out against Essex. He should be playing for South Africa, shouldn't he, Michael? I think you're probably right. It's the uh, leading I question, I, yes. I, 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 cer- I certainly think the South African team um, would agree with you. Yeah. Uh, serious question. That, that was a bit facetious. The <laughs> Next year, there's a T20 World Cup, right? He's playing so much T20 cricket. He's probably got more practice with the T20 format than anyone else in world cricket. And if he's playing so much, uh, why can't he play one short tournament in November in uh, Australia? Well, he can and he should. And rather than it all being left to the last minute, they should sit down now and try and make up because I think there is some making up that needs doing and find out, first of all, if he has any desire to. And I suspect, given that he made that offer for the 50-over World Cup, that there is some desire to, to finish on a high with South Africa uh, and then get that deal done early and not leave it. I mean, I, I understood Cricket South Africa's point that they couldn't bring him in at the last minute and drop another player. Fair enough. But it all should have been discussed much, much earlier. If you've not seen Tom Banton bat yet, change that right now he looks incredible for Somerset if you've not seen him bat uh, I was arguing with Taha Hashim in the office the other day about who he reminds us of I think Butler he thinks KP so I guess he's a cross between the two he's just 20 sounds handy yeah he, when you put it like mean. that some of the shots that he plays are incredible there's one ball a, a genuine top of off stump ball that he uh, reverse slaps over third man yeah, for, for, for six it's him incredible. and Babar Azam is a pretty, pretty tasty tasty pair <laughs> partnership um, yeah he looks very exciting I guess it's an interesting time for young players with the T20 World Cup next year and also the 100 so if you're a, an aggressive top order young batsman 2020 is a great year for you uh, spare a thought for Gloucestershire they had Glamorgan 96 for 8 before the rain ruined that game that ended in a no result spare a thought for Tom Curran who after winning the World Cup in the same week he went for 63 off his 3 overs against Essex Cameron Delport scored 129 in a 15 over game Essex scored 226 in 15 overs that's insane um, elsewhere there have been a couple of retirements big retirement well actually no there's only been one retirement we'll get to that Lassie Malinga has retired. Well, he's doing the very shanking thing where he's going to play one game of a series and then retire. He's going to play against Bangladesh this Friday and then he's going to call it a day there and then in ODI cricket. He's uh, a real great of white ball cricket. Only two bowlers have taken more World Cup wickets than him. Um, guys, simple question: What's your what's your favourite Malinga memory? Start with you, Tom. Yeah, well, I, th- I, think, I think with Malinga, he's just so iconic. That action, that those searing Yorkers, you know. I wouldn't have one sort of outstanding memory as such, but just that delivery. I mean, that stock sort of delivery that he's just made his own. And I mean, I think the great thing about this this amazing sport that we love is those sort of almost like freakish um, players that you just come around and they're just so amazing at what they do and they bring this uniqueness. And for me, that's Malinga all over. And this year in the World Cup, when he was potentially slightly overweight and <laughs> people were writing him off, he's still still brilliant. As yeah, well, I mean, he? he did a job on England, didn't yeah, he, for well, sure. Yeah. So he can, he, you know, I, I think some players are just, you know, just superstars and he's definitely in, in that sort of category for me. Joe, guess that four and four. Four and four is the one that obviously sticks out. Uh, but I think I thought it was great. I mean, at the time, we obviously were all a bit worried, but when he 
took it, took apart England in that match. I mean, he yeah. saved the World Cup yeah, in, in many did. ways. The Genuinely group stage would have been a bit of a snooze fest for the, yeah. for the remainder mm. if he hadn't done that. Uh, and as you say, it, I mean, I certainly didn't think he was fit enough to play in all Schwenker's <laughs> games at this World Cup. And that's before I saw his belly. So, And finally, Darren Stevens. It's been announced that the 43-year-old all-rounder will leave Kent at the end of the season, but he's not retiring. That is extraordinary, isn't he? He's currently on loan at Derbyshire in the T20 stuff, but he's... Uh, he's not retiring. He's right. not retiring. He still wants really? to go strong. So um, Darren Stevens must have been quite an old bloke when you made your debut. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I know the Hampshire teams that I've played in, we've certainly fell victim to him quite a few times. <laughs> um, yeah, a great, great cricketer. Um, and he's kind of found his way again, hasn't he, of being so successful in all formats, really. What's he like as a bloke? Because it must be something different about you to want to still play professional cricket at 44 which he will be at the start of next season yeah it's a remarkable effort isn't it um he's a, from what i can see he's a great bloke i don't i don't i can't say i knew him really well played against him quite a few times um but i've had this conversation with a lot of people generally you know players on on the on the first class scene they're all pretty decent blokes you don't come across many wrong uns um and he's certainly one of them you know he's, he's, a, he's a very good bloke and still clearly very keen and passionate about cricket it's remarkable that to have that longevity when he is essentially a bowling all-rounder now as well. Yeah, I mean, his batting yeah. hasn't really fired for a little while now, and he's opening the bowling in Division One. And I don't, I, don't, I didn't think it because he's, obviously he's done amazingly <laughs> over the years, but a lot of those wickets have been taken in Division Two, the vast majority. Mm. I wasn't convinced he'd be able to step up on those pitches and take wickets, but he's still doing really well yeah. for a Kent side that are, are playing above expectations as well. Exactly. Um, thanks, Joe, Tom, Michael. Uh, listeners subscribe on the podcast app or Spotify if you haven't already and we'll see you next week Sports Social Podcast Network